right, you got to get moving on those short intros. Good morning. Oh, that's, this is a great rainy day, 8.30 crowd. I'm, I'm really impressed with you. So let me just say, whether you're watching online or you're in the room or outside, congratulations. Good for you. Give yourself a hand, okay? Yeah. Seriously, it's great to have you here. And let me tell you something. The youth band and the youth do the announcements, this is like Youth Sunday. Now I understand why Ryan asked me to preach. You know, this is, this is an honor to team up with the youth. It really is. Makes me feel young. Makes me feel young again. If you have your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, Ryan launched us into this chapter last week. Today we're going to pick it up and do the second half of the chapter, a great story which I call Joy in Jail and Other Tough Places. All right? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much. What a joy it is to look at your word, uh, to have a God that communicates, a God that loves us enough to tell us truth and to leave us stories that teach truth uh, and that show us um, how to walk in the power of Christ uh, with him at our side uh, in obedience to his word and, and how to walk not only through good times, happy times, but how to walk with you in, when uh, times uh, we feel trapped. We feel like uh, in one way or another, this is a tough place right now. So Lord, teach us from your word. Thank you for the chance to be together, whether it's online or in person. Thank you so much. We love you, and we just quiet our hearts and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, who doesn't want to be happy? I like the, I like the word. Uh, and, and happiness is not a bad thing. In fact, let me take a quick survey in case maybe you're not on the same page as me. I'll give you a vote. You can, you can raise your hand or whatever, but, you know, happy, sad. What do you vote for? Okay, how about, um, let's get more deep on this. Um, uh, glad or gloomy? Glad, okay. So happy, glad, uh, you know, sad or spectacular? Spectacular. Okay, everyone votes for happiness. In fact, happiness is kind of baked into our American culture. And before I go on to the, into the rest of the message, I am not the happiness Scrooge, okay? So I'm not saying happiness is a bad thing. In fact, it's kind of American to be obsessed with happiness as a goal. As Americans, it's ingrained even in our Bill of Rights. We talk about our God-given rights to the pursuit of what? Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I grew up with that. And yet as a culture, in spite of the fact that we are one of the most blessed and wealthy cultures on planet Earth and in the history of mankind, other studies of things like depression and anxiety say that we are actually one of the least happy people on planet Earth. Why is that? Saw a survey just recently taken by the Huffington Post 
about this, asked this question, what do you most want in life that you don't seem to be able to get enough of? Number one, I've already set you up, haven't I? Number one was happiness. What do you think number two was? Any guesses? Money. Got a wise man on the second row here. Yeah, and someone else said a job. Well, the job is to produce money, which produces happiness. That's the logic, right? Yeah, number one was happiness. Number two was money. Number three, I think, was meaning. In the top five also, or top six, were joy and peace. These are things that people say they want them, but they just don't seem to be able to get them. They are elusive. The author of that study wrote this. The number one mentioned missing element was happiness. Happiness has become so hard to achieve and even harder if you get it to maintain it. Happiness continually escapes us. We search outside ourselves for happiness. Happiness in a job, in a husband or wife, a family, a title, a paycheck, a fancier house. As a result, happiness is constantly out of control, out of our control, and a perpetual moving target that never stands still long enough for us to grasp it. That's a great quote. That's a secular study of our culture. Jordan Peterson, a Canadian author and psychologist I recently ran across through my men's group that I meet with, he writes this. Listen to this now. This is pretty good. It's all very well to think the meaning of life is happiness, but what happens when you're not happy? Happiness is a side effect. When it comes, accept it gratefully. It's not a bad thing, obviously, but it's fleeting and unpredictable. Know that. It is fleeting and unpredictable. It's not something you aim at or make it the purpose of life because what happens when you're unhappy? Then you are a failure if you ever feel unhappy because you've missed your goal, right? So I love what Peterson says. He says, it's not a bad thing, but don't make it your goal in life because if you do, you're going to be disappointed. Happiness depends on happenings. If things are happening for me in a good way, I can feel happy. And what if about when things are unhappy? What about things out of my control, my circumstances in life? Things come at me from life all the time. All of us experience this, don't we? When it's out of my control and it doesn't make me feel good, it's not what I want. How do we deal with that? So the question this morning is this. Why have I talked about happiness? We're going to look at a passage. And it's not so much anti-happiness, but it's going to give you a much better goal in life and a way to get there. We're going to look at the topic of joy. It's different than happiness. We're going to look at the topic of joy. And in fact, I would say we're going to look at joy no matter what. How do you have a joy no matter what approach to life? Meaning joy in our story today from a jail cell, shackled, imprisoned, beaten, 
It's not a fun thing. It's not a happy day for the Apostle Paul. We're going to listen to his lessons, though, as recorded in Acts chapter 16 about how do you respond to being, quote, in jail in a tough place in your life, whatever it is, where things are not going the way you would want them to go, how do you respond to that in a way that you can experience joy from kind of the jail sales, you might say, of life? You see, the title of our series is Unstoppable. That's what was happening as the church was spreading. Well, we're going to see today one of the reasons the church was so attractive to outsiders was the joy that they experienced in spite of tremendous suffering. So listen to Acts chapter 16. We'll read the story, take it apart. I'll give you on the screen kind of an outline if you want to take a few notes. And then we're going to draw three observations from the story. See if you can guess what they are even before we get there. All right, ready? Here we go. Acts 16, verse 19. We'll back up and overlap Ryan from last week to set the context. But when her masters... Remember, this is the slave girl who had been making money for her owners. She was kind of a victim of being owned by other men who were making their money from her having this gift of fortune-telling. And then she came to know Jesus Christ, and she quit doing that. And all of a sudden, their money stream dried up. I mean, it's kind of like the pimp and, and, and the prostitute almost, okay, just in a different way of making bucks for the owner. So people began to see that all of a sudden it was affecting the monetary system in, in, in Philippi, the, the city we're talking about. So when her masters, verse 19, saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, the politicians, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are, not, and are proclaiming customs which, which, which is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. And remember, we learned last week from Ryan, this was a very Roman city, proud of their Roman heritage. So the bottom line is, it begins with this collision. I call it a collision of culture. It's a collision that this is not good for our business. Sometimes Christianity comes into a world, comes into a culture, into a life, and it's going to upset that life. It's going to collide with that non-Christian culture in a way that's going to begin to affect somebody in their pocketbook, in their monetary income. So this collision happens, and then the collision, pardon the word, it's been overused lately, leads to collusion. And, they says, and rest in peace, this does not involve any Russians today. But here we go. There's a collusion now between big money and the politicians. And they, they come and they, they collude together, and they say, look, we need to punish this, stop this. Verse 22, and the crowd rose up together with them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. So Paul and Silas, no robe on, began to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, not the 
bigger outer prison. He puts them in the most secure place in the prison, and he fastens their feet in the stocks. In the, in the Greek language, it actually, the stocks could be translated in wood. And so picture wooden stocks that, that your feet would be locked into so you couldn't walk. So they have their feet shackled in essence. They are in the inner prison and they are bleeding and bloody from being beaten. But the collusion is not more powerful than their faith. The heart of this passage is verse 25. But, there's the contrast word, okay? But, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, by the way, the prisoners would have very little choice because they're in the inner prison. It's usually more like a stone cave or something, and so you, hey, you got some great acoustics for singing, right? So what are they doing? Paul and Silas are literally, they're praying out loud, and they're singing praises to God. Now, it could say, if this was me, it'd be very similar. I would be praying and pleading with God, get me out of here, save me, don't let them kill me. But they're not pleading, they're praising. Big difference. So they're giving expressions of praise and worship and prayers to God. And, and people are listening, they can't help but listen. The jailer and the prisoners are hearing this. We'll come back and look at this later, but I call this their unchained faith. Because you can chain the prisoner, but you can't chain up his faith. You can't chain his heart. And his heart just keeps praising God in spite of what he's going through. Now, this may make no sense to us on the surface. We'll come back to why later. So what happens next? Verse 16 to 34. Look at this section. God acts. God is also not intimidated by Roman prisons. He says, and suddenly there, became, there came a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Now, I expected him to draw his sword to get the prisoners under control. But no, that's out of his control. So he draws his sword to commit suicide. Why would he do that? Because the clear understanding he had was as, a, as an authoritative jailer or Roman soldier, for example, in, in, that, in that Roman culture, if you failed at your job and you let your prisoner get away, then it was on you and you are going to be executed. And he knew those executions were nasty, so he said, I'm going to end my own life. This guy is going to commit suicide. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But here's the second miracle of the story, because I know if, you know, if, I, if I'm praying to God and my shackles miraculously fall off and the jail cell opens, what do I do? What would you do? Run. Yeah. I'd say, thank you, God. I'd just be praising God while I run. But no, Paul doesn't do that. Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And he called for the lights. Turn on the lights. Hey, Google, turn on the lights. But he didn't have Google, so they lit the torches instead. And, they, and, 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 and when he lit the torches, 
and rushed in, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want what you have. You have a miracle-working God. And not only that, you've been singing and praising him, and, and I've been listening, and man, I need what you have, and you just saved my life by not running. I'm not sure about the other prisoners. I don't know if they had all come to faith or if Paul and Silas. I think when the guy that causes the miracle and the earthquake says, sit down, you probably sit down. We don't know that part of the story. But the other, all the prisoners stayed. Now this next section is kind of, kind of cool. Listen to it. Verse 31, they said, first they give them the gospel. Just believe, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household, your family. The word household refers to not just his immediate family, but like servants that lived with them in their household. I love the simplicity, by the way. Just believe. Just believe. There's a lot of other things that are mentioned occasionally. Believe and be baptized. Believe and repent. Believe in this. Believe in that. But that the heart of the gospel is simple faith. We are saved by grace, you don't deserve it. It's a gift from God. You are saved by grace through faith, period. Faith plus no works, faith plus no anything. It's our faith in Jesus Christ and who he was and what he did on the cross, his death and resurrection in our place for our sins. When you place your faith in Christ, that gives you what's called, quote, salvation. Your heart and soul are spiritually brought to life eternally. People ask you sometimes, when does eternal life begin? And I know even a lot of Christians that would say, well, I guess when I die. No, 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 no. Eternal life begins the moment you place faith in Christ because you are eternally alive. Now, your old body, you're going to keep losing your hair, maybe, you're going you're gonna to start having sore knees like I had last night, yes. You're gonna, so our bodies are still dying. Our, good news is our bodies will someday even be resurrected to new life. So, yeah, your eternal life begins the moment you accept Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. You are identified with Christ. You are a child of God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. And you will be saved. That's the gospel. They gave it to him in verse 31. He says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his household. Everybody's gathering around. Now you say, well, I thought they stayed in jail. Where are they? It's kind of a mystery. But let me give you a little insight. A lot of times in the Roman world, the, the jailer, especially if he's the big dog, okay, the jailer would live literally either next to or perhaps even in the building with the jail. So what he does is, out of compassion, he takes them to his private quarters, he cleans their wounds, he feeds them a meal, he, he, he expresses his gratitude for saving his life, and he asks them, now tell me, how can I be saved? And he, and he gathers all of his household, and they believe. They come to faith. 
Wow. And then he took them that very hour of the night. He washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized. By the way, next week, you could sign up today. Go to respond.church. You could sign up today on a card or call a church office this week. And we would love, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, baptism does not save you. Baptism, however, is the public expression of your decision to follow Jesus and your commitment to him. And it public, it's a beautiful, beautiful um, ordinance or ritual that will be explained next week, but it's, it's a beautiful way to say to the world, to your family, to your friends, to this church, I am a follower of Jesus. So if you've never done that, we'd really encourage you to sign up today for that, okay? Man, it's a great, it's a great thing to do. Now you say, well, did they go out to the river or something to do this? Well, again, under Jewish tradition, sometimes if, if they weren't near, a, if, sometimes this was done in, in a river or a lake, uh, and, and they would dip them under the water. That's one form of baptism. Other times, baptism refers to the pouring of water over the head as a symbol of, of that. So most likely they did it right there in their home. They brought water. They were baptized to, to proclaim their faith in Christ as soon as they had it. This is not something that's like part two of becoming a Christian that you can wait several years and do. Maybe that's your case. That's okay. But this is a, a simple public gesture of faith. You could do it the day, the very day you come to faith, you could do this. It's a great story. He washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. And then he took them back to jail. How do we know that? Verse 35, because now we move from this where God sets them free, but they weren't free to leave the jail. They were free to to share the gospel with the jailer and his family and to stay on their mission. And then in verse 35, the story ends with a short section. I'll just summarize it. I call it free to respectfully confront injustice. It's okay for a Christian to speak whenever they're being treated unjustly. Listen to it. It says, and when the day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, hey, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without a trial, men, that is, we who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they're sending us away secretly? No way, Jose. That's what it says in Greek. No, indeed. He says, no way. But let them come here themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words back to the politicians, the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They'd forgotten that these were not just Jews. They were Jews that had, had connection to Rome. And they came and appealed to them. And, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them, but please, please leave our city. And they went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia, the woman whose home had become the center of the church. And when they had encouraged, they saw the brethren, the followers, the new followers of Jesus, they encouraged them, and then they did depart to the next city. 
See, I, I love that. You know, you know I kind of wonder, why did Paul do that? Was he just trying to be a, um, was he trying to just embarrass the politicians? Uh, I, I kind of wondered, why did he do that? And the story doesn't tell us the why, but I think I know. Let me ask it this way. If Paul knows he's about ready to move on to the next city, and if he knows this is how the, the authorities are treating Christians, is they're, without a trial, they're beating them up and throwing them in jail, what happens if Paul just gets out of jail and leaves? What do you think happens the next day? The next time one of these new followers of Jesus begins to speak out publicly for their faith, they're going to be the next one to be beaten and thrown in jail. What Paul's doing is I think he's watching out for his new church. He's protecting them by saying, no, 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 no. We're going to make an issue of this so that the authorities know you can't get by with this. Paul was loving this new church, caring for them all the way out of town. So what do we learn? What are what I call three simple lessons for more joy no matter what? Here they are. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, if you're in jail in life, you're in a tough place, you're suffering, doesn't matter what form it is, these three will help you. Number one, express praise. And notice I added the word express praise. Don't just feel praiseful. Express it. In prayer and song and praise, praise God outwardly, even if you're hurting inwardly. It's a powerful pain reliever for your suffering, and it's also a powerful witness to those around you. It focuses our faith on God. And by the way, this is not praise that is denying reality, acting like, well, no, nothing is wrong. Happiness, I'm, you know, it's another happy, happy day. Okay, this is not that. Don't worry, be happy, okay? This is not that. What, this is not denying reality that life gets messy. It's affirming the reality that God is with you in the mess. That was good enough to write down. You should have written that down. I'm going to say it one more time. This is not denying the messiness of life, but it's affirming the reality that life is messy, but affirming the reality the true reality that God is with you in the middle of the mess. Affirming the reality that God has purpose for the mess, that God will use the mess, all of that. This same Paul, by the way, would later write a letter back to this church in Philippi. We call it Philippians. And the major theme of Philippians is joy no matter what, the whole book. Let me give you just a couple quick quotes from Philippians. Just write the references down. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Emphasis on the word always. Always. And you rejoice in the Lord. You don't rejoice in your circumstances and how good things are. You rejoice in the fact that you are in Christ and he is in you. And it doesn't matter what kind of crap comes down in life. You can survive it. You can rejoice through it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything, good times, bad times, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart, that's the emotions, 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, you choose to pray with thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, the next verse. Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, worthy of praise, mentally dwell on these things, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. I kind of abbreviated the verse. But here's the big point. You can't always control your circumstances, but you can control what you choose to dwell on, what you choose to think about, what you choose to believe is true in the midst of those circumstances. So you can always change your focus, even though we can't change what's happening around you. And when you choose to focus on what is good and right and true and honorable, worthy of praise, uh, let your mind dwell on these things and the peace of God will be with you. So if you want peace, joy, no matter what, that's what you do. Last but not least, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean you can do miracles all the time. It means I can be happy and better yet joyful even when I'm suffering through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's joy and confidence was not based in himself. It was based in his relationship and the reality that the God of the universe and the Savior of mankind who loved him so much to die for him was with him and would be faithful. Wow. That's joy no matter what. Express praise and set your focus on God. It'll relieve pain. It'll also be a witness to others around you. Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without grumbling and complaining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Now, I love that phrase. We are to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Let's just call it what it is. The world stinks. This, is, this world is not heaven on earth. It's not designed to be. It someday will be transformed into that by Jesus Christ when he returns. But for right now, we're living in a world that is characterized as a painful place. I'll come back to that in a minute. But I love the fact that he calls it out and he says, hey, guess what? You know, the world is crooked and perverse. Now, sometimes when I look at America today, I think it's increasingly crooked and perverse. Amen? And that's not a political statement. It's just an absolute truth. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you are, the reality is this place is going the wrong direction. Morally, righteously, we don't live in a perfect country, and I'm about as pro-American as any guy you'll meet. I travel the world doing international training, especially in Africa, Asia. And let me tell you something, I haven't found a country yet that I would rather live in than right here. I am so thankful and appreciative for the good things about this place we live. But it's not perfect. There's no truly Christian country on the planet. That's why we follow a different king and a different kingdom with a capital K. Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, that's our, that's our first allegiance. That's our first home, no matter where we live in the world. And that unites us with the church all around the world. 
case any of my friends in Africa and Asia and South America are listening online. Some of them tune in sometimes when they hear I'm preaching. I have no idea why. But, but you know, in case they are, hello, I'm glad you're with us. But the point is, we are one global movement of God. We are one global kingdom of God. And it doesn't have national identity or boundaries. So none of our countries are perfect. And they're all either getting a little better or getting a little worse, depending on how they align themselves with truth and with morality, not defined by culture or politics, but defined by God, who is the source of truth, the source of morality. So just remember that that actually leads to my second point. If you want to have joy no matter what, Express praise, but also embrace suffering. Don't be surprised by it. Learn to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Now, the reason I say don't be surprised by it is it's the nature of the world I just described. I love the way James puts it in James chapter 1. He says this, verse 2, Consider it all joy. There it is. There's the word. Not happiness. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. It grows you stronger, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You want to say, God, make me wiser, stronger, healthier, able to live life no matter what comes my way with joy. God, make me that kind of a man. If you pray that prayer, expect suffering. That's how God grows us. It's like stretching a muscle. If you don't make it hurt a little bit, if you don't stretch it beyond its comfort zone, you don't get stronger. So you can learn to say, God, I'm hurting. Be honest with God. Weep with God. But then say, but God, I trust you, and I'm going to rejoice in you no matter what. Why is there so much pain a few years ago here at Seacoast, we did a series called Everybody Hurts. I still think it's my favorite series we've ever done here. It's eight weeks on God's helping us understand pain and suffering in our lives as Christians. I encourage you to go online, look it up, listen to it. But here's the summary of the series. Why is there so much pain? Here it is. We live in a broken, fallen body on a broken and fallen planet, surrounded by broken and fallen people, with a spiritual enemy who hates us. That's, if someone asks you, if there is a God, why so much pain and suffering on planet Earth? Why pandemics? Why suffering? Why racial injustice? Why anything? That statement summarizes it. You and I, we live in broken, fallen bodies that someday Jesus will fix. But we also live among broken and fallen people. People hurt people. On a broken and fallen planet that has tsunamis and earthquakes and everything else. And, and, but we also have a spiritual enemy who's out to, to ruin our faith and ruin our lives. And when you put all that together, that's where the pain and suffering comes from. Now, the good news is this. God has a plan to eliminate all of that someday. It's called the new heaven, the new earth forever and ever. That's your home. That's your destiny. So we realize that we can actually embrace suffering if we understand that it's normal on planet Earth 
and someday God will eliminate it forever, but in the meantime, he's going to use it. And that's my third and final point, which is this. Embrace pra- I mean, express praise, embrace suffering. Number three, stop chasing happiness as real joy is found in living with and for Jesus Christ. So we got to stop buying into the American dream of happiness. Philippians 2.18, if I can summarize the verse, and says that Paul says this, while in jail, he writes to the Philippians, yes, I will rejoice because Christ is being exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul had discovered that he was living, he was He was living for something bigger than himself, Jesus Christ. He was living for something better than happiness, which is joy based in Jesus Christ. He was living to advance not just his own personal life kingdom. We all have a little kingdom with a little K. You own stuff, you buy stuff, you home homes or apartments or you know we have we have our own little dale's kingdom i got a little dale kingdom with a little k but but if i'm living for a little dale kingdom i'm going to be unhappy because i'll never be happy enough i'll never have enough my little little k kingdom is never as big or as rich as i want it to be but if i live for a king with a capital k jesus christ with a kingdom that's eternal and significant that I got purpose to my life, purpose that is so great that even if my suffering can be used to advance that purpose, then again I will rejoice. That was Paul's attitude. He put it this way in Philippians 1.12. Even my circumstances of my imprisonment turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Therefore, woohoo! That's not in the Greek, I added that. Okay, woohoo! I will rejoice. Because, man, if you want to throw me in if that helps the gospel, throw my tail in prison, and I'll celebrate there. Because I don't think anything can shut down my witness for Jesus Christ. So Paul rejoiced. Happiness. Happiness will come and go with circumstances. Nothing wrong with it. I enjoy a little happiness. But don't settle for it. Don't live for it. God has created you and me for something much, much better. Something eternal in significance. And in that, we can rejoice. The American dream is not a bad dream. I'd rather have the American dream than the Rwandan dream or the Kenyan dream or the Tanzanian dream or any other dream I know on the planet. I'd, I'd rather have the American dream. It's, a, it's not bad but it's not worthy of me living my life for it. God has a better dream. Knowing Jesus Christ, serving Jesus Christ, so that no matter what happens, I can have joy. If you've never bought into that dream, I want to encourage you to pray with me right now and say, God, I want that to be my dream. Okay? If you're just kind of in chase and happiness... You're feeling like, I don't, if, I, if I get it, it doesn't last, I lose it, then 
choose joy by choosing a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you'll have the joy that that jailer had. Father God, we pause to pray. We thank you for giving us something greater than happiness. We thank you for giving us a joy that we can have based in Jesus Christ, based in his good news, great news of the gospel, that he came and he died on a cross for each of us, for all of our sins, every one of them. And he promises us eternal life, and he gives us purpose for this life, to live for the king and advance his kingdom, to love other people, as we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you make us that kind of church. Make me that kind of a person. And if that's a choice for you today, then say, God, today I choose you as the one that I will live for, worship, because your grace, your free gift, your salvation is what I want. for giving us a better way in Christ's name.